morning. We are uh, in week two of a three-week series entitled Living the Truth, Living the Gospel Every Day. Last week we looked at uh, Luke 15 in the context of the lost and found sheep and coin and son. We saw that God cares deeply for lost people, that he goes to great lengths to save them, sent Jesus to save sinners, and there's great rejoicing in heaven when someone comes to faith in Christ. And that God's concern must be our concern as it relates to our attitudes as well as our interactions with other people as we live and share the truth of the gospel. You may remember some of my fishing stories from last week. Uh, I think I'm going to reconsider my views on the Barbie fishing pole. Someone just gave me an article this morning. The, uh, in North Carolina, a man was fishing with his granddaughter in a pond behind his house when she asked him to hold her Barbie fishing rod while she went to the bathroom. The rest is North Carolina sports history. He uh, took the fishing rod and seconds later... The toy hooked a state record channel catfish, 21 pounds, one ounce. So I apologized to Savannah last week for uh, dissing the Barbie fishing pole, and now I just want to make it official. Anyway, excuse me, today we're looking at 2 John and the idea of discerning between truth and error, not putting out the welcome mat for false teachers in our homes and in the church. So please open your Bible to 2 John and stand with me as we read God's Word. Pastor Ed is back with us today and he is on crutches and uh, someone else in our body has also joined the ranks and so thank you gentlemen for standing. I know it's tough to stand right now. John wrote five New Testament books by the way. The Gospel of John, he wrote it about A.D. 80 to 90, somewhere in that time period. He wrote a Revelation, uh, somewhere around A.D. 94 to 96. And then he wrote 1st through 3rd John, uh, from Ephesus around A.D. 90 to 95, somewhere in that time frame. And 2nd and John fall into uh, the category of small personal letters that could fit on a standard piece of papyrus in those days, Excuse me, which was 25 centimeters by 20 centimeters. So 2 John, 13 short verses. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now, I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but one which we have from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist, 
Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Lord God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this short letter that has jam-packed with so much truth. Lord, change us as we contemplate it today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, the message of 2 John is relevant to us because truth was up for grabs in Bible times just like today. Especially near the end of the first century in the Roman province of Asia, in Ephesus, near modern Turkey. It was a hotbed of religious uh, thought and philosophy, of things like the worship of emperors and Greek gods like Artemis, whose temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Paganism and superstition were widespread. People lived in fear of offending the gods. And And in those days, there was always room for a new combination of ideas and And beliefs syncretized to form a new religion. And in the midst of this, the church was a shining light of truth and hope. But there was a danger, especially uh, from the outside, from false religions, but also internally from false teachers and their followers that crept into churches. Five of the seven churches in Revelation were rebuked for putting up with false teachers and the subsequent worldliness that ensued. This is the context in which the last living apostle, John, lived and ministered. By this time he was an old man, well into his 80s, at least into his 80s. And 2 John seems to be written to a person. Look at verse 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children. But most believe it was probably written to a local church and that this local church was personified here and the chosen lady was a group of believers, a community of believers. Now, while John has five chapters, Second John has only 13 verses, but they, they deal with the same issue. John was dealing with a very real case of false teaching that clearly opposed the truth. It was an early form of the Gnostic heresy, a hybrid of various pagan and Jewish and quasi-Christian systems of thought that taught that spiritual things were good and physical things were bad. They accepted some form of Christ's deity, but denied his humanity, saying that he couldn't have had a physical body since matter was evil. Their denial of the incarnation broke off into two camps. One group was called docetists, from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem. They said that Jesus' body wasn't real, it just seemed that way. That's why John said in 1 John 1, 1 that he had heard and seen and touched Jesus. Another group taught that the Spirit of Christ descended upon him at his baptism, but left him at the crucifixion. 
And both these views cut to the core of the biblical teaching of Jesus' true humanity and his saving work. You see, if he didn't live, he didn't suffer and he didn't die. They undermined the gospel. Their dualistic belief led to not care about moral values or ethical behavior. To them, sin committed in the body had no connection or effect on the spirit or the soul. And they saw themselves as spiritual elite who alone had the true knowledge. John wanted Christians to be able to spot these false teachers and not get mixed up with them. Part of living the truth of the gospel is knowing the difference between truth and error. Being able to discern between truth and falsehood. There are two ongoing tests that we need to perform in the process. Now, some of you have taken tests recently. Some of you have taken medical tests. Others will soon be taking tests in school. Sorry to remind you. But tests aren't necessarily pleasant. They're not easy, but they are helpful and sometimes life-saving. Spiritually speaking, 2 Corinthians 13 says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. 1 John 4.1 says, Test the spirits to see if they are of God. Not every spirit is of God. Before you can tell the difference between truth and error, you need to know where you stand with regard to the truth. So the first test I want to uh, bring up today is how to know if you're living in the truth. How can you tell if your life is in line with the truth of the gospel? Now, a key phrase here is found in verse 4, walking in truth. What does that mean? Walking implies direction, it implies movement, uh, assent, agreement. So when you're walking in truth, you're walking in the direction with, operating in the context of, uh, Hanging out in the neighborhood of truth. You're governed by it. Uh, We've seen a lot of Olympics recently. Uh, I loved the swimming. If you're swimming in water, you're enveloped by it. You're operating within its presence, within its sphere. Walking in the truth means you are saturated by it and constantly aware of its presence. Basically, it's the same thing as saying that you're following Jesus. Walking in truth equals following Jesus. And the number one question to ask yourself is, do you know Jesus and do you want to obey him? Do you know Jesus and do you want to obey him? Now you may go through periods of doubt, periods of waywardness, but overall the direction of your life, if you're a believer, should be towards God, not away from him. Now most believers would say this, Yes, I love Jesus. But no, I don't obey him all the time. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I love Jesus, but I don't obey him all the time. But I want to. That's the other part of my story. I want to. See, walking in the truth means you know Jesus and you desire to obey him. It means you're a Christian who wants to be obedient, who wants to go forwards, not backwards in the faith. So it's not enough just to say, well, hey, I made a decision for Christ way back when. And not give thought to obeying Jesus. You've got to remember this when you're sharing the gospel. Don't soft-pedal the truth. 
Jesus said in John chapter 15, you are my friends. You are my friends. To be called a friend of Jesus, it's a wonderful thing. Here's what Jesus said. You're my friends if you do what I command you. If you do what I say. If you follow my teaching. If you're saved, you're going to desire to obey him. And here's how you can tell what direction you're going with God. Do you try to see how far you can go without getting caught, as if God didn't know it? Do you see how far you can go or how close you can get to the flame? Or do you seek to know how, how much you can please God? How much you can do what is right? How close you can get to Jesus? Which one? You see, if the root of faith is taken hold in your life, fruit will grow. You don't have to strain and, as Pete puts it, you know, uh, mark red little dots on yourself. Uh, it will grow. It'll be evident. The fruit of God working in your life will be the fruit of His Spirit. Now, when you've got Jesus in your life, and when you are living in obedience to Him, there are several things that are evident. First of all, you will know the truth. You will know the truth. Verse 1 says, The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Those that know the truth were in line with this church and with John. Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know it. Your life is governed by it. It's not mere head knowledge, but it's the driving force behind your thoughts and your words and your actions. See, but you need to know the word of God to know the truth. Thy word is truth. God's word is truth. And it takes daily discipline to read it and to study it and to know it. So you must know the basics of Christianity before you can tell if something is a fake, if something is false. If you don't know the basics of Christianity, you're going to get misled by any number of teachings that might come in. So the first thing is, you're walking in truth and following Jesus. Simply, you know the truth. The second thing is that you acknowledge God as the source of truth. Verse 2 says, but he is speaking, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Now Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. In John 15, he says that if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. And I've always thought of that in the terms of me needing to abide in Christ. Can't forget the second part of that. If you abide in me and I in you, Jesus abides in us. The truth abides in us and will be with us forever as Jesus has promised. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But you acknowledge God as the God of truth. The truth is from God, and that we receive His truth. We don't manufacture it. We don't come up with our own version. You acknowledge God as the giver of truth. He is the one who abides in us. He will be with us forever. It's outside of us. Look at verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. Truth and love, inseparable. 
But God is the one who gives every good and perfect gift, truth and grace and peace and mercy. So you know the truth, you acknowledge God is where it came from, and maybe most revealing of all, the third thing is you love others in truth. You love others in truth. See, John insists that faith cannot be separated from love. Mere orthodoxy is not Christian faith. See, the absence of love is proof that faith is absent. He says in verse 1, the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth. He's, he's walking his talk. He's, he's uh, doing what he says they need to do. And in verse 4, he says, I was really glad to find that some of your children were walking in the truth. Doesn't necessarily mean that some weren't, but probably some weren't. But that he ran into some of that local assembly, and they were walking in the sphere of truth. They were following Jesus, and it showed. And he was glad. Reason to rejoice. He says in verse 5, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment. It sounds a lot like Jesus' words in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And then he said, All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. All people will know if you're walking in the truth, if you love each other which comes out in various ways, but doesn't come out in gossip or slander or abuse or what have you. doesn't come out that way. We know that. But there's lots of ways that love can be evidenced. And verse 6 says, love is this. Here's a little definition now. And this is love that we walk according to his commands. I love that. Jesus says, you know, if you love me, you'll do my commands. And then John says, in love is doing Jesus' commands. It's all together, and it all works perfectly. See, your life indicates whether Jesus is Lord in your life or not. Your life, your observable life. Whether it's true if you claim to be a Christian. See, if you claim to be a Christian but say that you're in control of your life and you don't love other people, you may find yourself clinging to a false hope. And then you need to change your mind. It's called repentance. Right now with all the... uh, politics going on you hear a lot right now about politicians flip-flopping hey he flip-flopped on that issue and uh, it's a you know common practice changing positions just to win votes but in life there is plenty of room to change positions on things of extreme importance so let's say you hold to a certain view and then you are exposed to the truth and jesus said the truth will set you free we are uh, bound to change positions on that one. See, the idea of repentance is changing your mind. It's changing positions. It's doing an about face. And if a person is truly saved, they will repent and live a lifestyle of repentance. And they may go through a period of wandering, of rebellion, but God is the one who keeps his own. In John 10, he says, I will never cast out the one who comes to me. But there's a very real possibility that we're holding on to a false hope regarding people who say they believe in Jesus, but there's absolutely no love for the brethren evidenced in their life. That they believe, they say they believe in Jesus, but totally deny him in their life. Now, they may be wayward children. They may know Jesus, but they're wayward for a while. But maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe they don't know Jesus. 
See, if someone is actively denying Jesus in their life, it breaks our heart. But here's what we must do. We must treat them as we would an unbeliever. With love, with kindness, with respect, but we must share the gospel of the grace of God with them. We must call them to repentance. We must pray for a change of heart. But the first test really is, am I walking in the truth? Is my life in line with the truth of the gospel? Then we can move on to test number two, how to spot a false teacher. We see that in the last, in the middle section here, verses 7 through 11. How can you spot a heretic? A wolf in sheep's clothing. How can you tell if someone is leading people astray? Verse 7 says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Uh, This is the deceiver and the antichrist. People being used by Satan to deceive others. Jude calls them hidden reefs. Clouds without water. Wild waves. Wandering stars. For whom the darkness is reserved. They're anti-Jesus. They're against him. But verse 8 says, Watch yourselves. Look to yourselves so you don't lose what you've gained. Your steadfastness, your hope, your confidence, your understanding. So self-examination, testing ourselves is is crucial. And verse 9 says, whoever transgresses, whoever goes too far, who oversteps over the line and doesn't abide or remain or dwell or live in, the doctrine or the teaching of Christ doesn't have God. They're not saved. But he who abides in the doctrine of Christ, the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Because remember, uh, they were denying that, that Jesus was God or that he had come in the flesh, God incarnate. But he who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. He's saved. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, the witness is this. God has given eternal life to believers. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God doesn't have a life. It's clear. But the key phrase to understand is seen in verse 9. It's the phrase, the teaching of Christ. What does that mean? Now, it could mean everything that Jesus taught. Everything in its totality that he taught. Boil it all, uh, put it all together. It could mean the main points of Jesus' teaching. It could mean the basic teaching about Jesus, which is what I think it signifies. Uh, Either way, though, what Jesus taught and the teaching of Scripture about him are in absolute agreement. So the basics of Jesus is what the teaching of Christ is. The teaching of Christ, that's the basic message of Jesus, the basic teachings about Jesus. And here's what they are. You can see them on the back of your notes. First of all, Christ's deity, that he is fully God. He's perfect, without sin nature. There are many places in Scripture that we can go to 
But look at Colossians chapter 1 with me. Colossians chapter 1, many places in Scripture show that, that He is God. John chapter 1, John chapter 17. But Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 speaks of Jesus and says, He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Another place you can go is Hebrews, where we spent a year and a half. Hebrews chapter 1, first three verses. God having his final word in his son. You know, people can say anything they want about truth and whether it exists or not, whether it's absolute or not. But it is, no matter what people say. And God will have the final word. And we see here that in Christ he has spoken. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. He's God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So Christ's deity, first of all, in the basic teachings about Jesus, you've got to go there. But secondly, Christ's humanity. That he's fully man, able to sympathize with us. Fully without sin, unable to sin, but can understand us because he lived and breathed and walked and talked here on earth. He came for the purpose to save sinners. He lived on earth as a man. Moved by love and in obedience to his father, the eternal son became human. was born of the Virgin Mary. The Word became flesh. Fully God, fully human, one person in two natures. So you've got to go with Christ's deity. You've got to go with Christ's humanity. You cannot cannot deny either and have the true teaching of Jesus. The third thing is Christ's incarnation. His birth, His life on earth. I pointed to it already. But the man Jesus, the promised Messiah, Conceived miraculously through the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. He perfectly obeyed his Heavenly Father. Lived a sinless life. Performed many miraculous signs. He lived. He was here on earth. Many people will deny that. The issue that John was dealing with, they denied that. And then you've got to go with Christ's sacrifice. That his death for sin happened. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Pilate, who said to him, what is truth? Reflecting the the view of many in our day, that people look at truth with skepticism. But he made a sacrifice. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate in our place to pay our penalty. That Jesus Christ acted as our representative and our substitute. He He put himself in our place. And he did that so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, he canceled sin and he satisfied the holy wrath of God against sin. Uh, the, the big theological word is he propitiated God. He appeased the wrath of God due to sin. 
And then you've got to go with Christ's exaltation. Uh, His resurrection, His ascension, His promised return. That's what we're all waiting for here. That He arose bodily from the dead on the third day. That it wasn't an illusion, it was real. And He ascended into heaven. And He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And that He is our high priest and our righteous advocate. That's the truth about Jesus. And by his resurrection, Jesus broke the power of death and sin and hell. He defeated Satan. And that by his ascension, he's forever exalted as Lord. And that he has prepared a place for us to be with him forever. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He's prepared a place for us. And he has promised to return for us. And salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. Now you can ask questions based on these truths to see if someone holds to the teaching of Christ. Do they acknowledge Jesus as God? Do they believe in the deity of Christ? I became a believer when I was in college, my second year of college, 1982. And I grew up in a in a wonderful little church in Downey that did not preach the gospel, that did not teach the word of God, that did not hold to the full teaching of Christ. And then I went to another church across town and heard the gospel message. For a year and a half, God was just trying to get through to my thick skull. And finally, love broke through, grace broke through, God drew me to himself, and I acknowledged Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and uh, in that process, two revolutionary thoughts, and I may have shared this with you before, but were that the Bible is completely true, and that Jesus is God. I hadn't heard those two ideas growing up. And uh, I was still going to both churches. I was, I was going to the church I got saved in, and Loving that in the college group there, big church in, in Downey, Downey First Baptist. But I was also going to my, my family's church and I was carrying my Bible. Sad to say, I think I was the only one carrying the Bible. And uh, I was in a Sunday school class once with a pastor who I really respected. I knew him since I was a kid and he was teaching through the book of Acts. And he came to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it struck me that the truth that I had, that I had learned about Jesus being God, I, I raised my hand, this 20-year-old kid, brand new believer, just, just trying to do what was right in life. And I said, isn't it, I just said, isn't it amazing to know that Jesus is God? And my pastor, who I had looked up to for so long, said, well, that's a matter of opinion. Uh, when I was in seminary, he told me, I had a debate with one of my professors that Jesus is not God, and I won the debate. That settled it for me. I knew I couldn't stay. I loved the people. I loved my mom and dad, who were still going there at the time, and couldn't stay shortly thereafter 
I was talking to the Christian education pastor, and I was so excited. And I said, hey, the Bible is completely true. And he says, well, that's a matter of opinion. Do they acknowledge Jesus as God? Do they acknowledge Jesus as man? That's another question you can ask. That he lived, that he died, that he was raised to life. Do they acknowledge that truth? Or do they explain it away as some illusion that may have happened? They're denying the biblical teaching of Jesus. They're denying all the earthly work of Jesus, his incarnation, his life, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. Another question you can ask is, do they proclaim Jesus as Lord? Do they proclaim Jesus as Lord? If they're not, they're anti-Christ. They're against Jesus, opposed. Now, in life, some fakes are really easy to spot. Okay? Like if you know watches, like my father-in-law knows watches, he can spot a fake Rolex a mile away. All right? Some things are easy to spot, but others are more difficult. Uh, Some totally fool you. That's the nature of deception. So whether it's a Rolex watch or it's something on eBay or Craigslist that you're trying to buy, and they say, ooh, this is real. I was uh, looking the other day at um, thimbles on eBay. There's a reason for that. Just, uh, we'll talk later about that. But there was one that said um, circa 100 AD. And it was like 999. <laughs> wow. It's the real thing. It's... It's from the first century. Wow, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, Now, uh, some fakes are easy to spot. Uh, Some are more difficult to ascertain. And some totally fool you. You don't know till later that you were taken in by falsehood. And there are several kinds of false teaching that are prevalent today. Now, some are easy to spot. Some are just outright error blatant by the way I I don't sew okay I gotta just get past that one I'm still thinking about the thimble and I shouldn't have told you and all that it's not for me it's for a friend okay Uh, (laughs) my mom okay Uh, how about UCLA huh UCLA football Tennessee they're playing on September 1st okay Uh, some fakes are easy to spot. Outright error, blatant, and if you know the truth, you see it right away. Okay? Now, these are groups that, or people that completely deny the biblical portrait of Jesus. Okay? They, they obliterate that portrait. They deceive the weak and the ignorant. They deceive people who don't know the word of God. Sad to say. And in this group are cults like Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormon Church and so on. Groups that deny the biblical Jesus. They have a different Jesus. Not the God of the Bible. Not the Jesus of the Bible. Now there's other groups that are more difficult. Much more difficult to discern. Their teachings are a bit harder to figure out. Um, They may seem right on some fronts, but there's just enough truth mixed with a whole lot of error. Or maybe there's a whole bunch of truth mixed with just a little bit of error. Spoils the whole batch. The, the, the leaven gets in there and just 
wipes out the whole batch of dough. <laughs> um, you've got to be careful. Extreme caution must be exercised because the teaching is often so deceptive. And it, the words sound so convincing that some can't tell it's false. And you need discernment to be able, as Hebrews say, to have your senses trained to discern between truth and error. Now, there's something else I I must add where you really need to be careful to not overstep your bounds. Where we need to be careful is regarding teaching that isn't false teaching. Just teaching that we disagree with. Um... Like when a group or a teacher holds to certain doctrines that aren't essential for salvation, but they don't cut away at the message of the gospel or the biblical picture of Jesus. It's the the freedom that is within the Christian community to have doctrines which we affirm that we would live and die for, but then doctrines on which we agree to disagree where, where... It isn't so clear and that sincere and intelligent Christians differ. Real live Christians who believe who Jesus is and the gospel message but just have different views on some peripheral things. You've got to be careful not to classify that as they're a false teacher because they don't believe in baptism the way I do or they don't believe in sanctification models the way I do or whatever. You know, how someone grows in Christ or, or things like that. Got to be careful about that. You've got to be careful, as a friend of mine said to me this week, don't let this be ammo for your judgment gun. Don't go on a spiritual false teacher witch hunt. Watch yourself first. Look to yourself first. Make sure you're walking in the truth. But look at verse 10. Because it doesn't mean you've got to ignore it. You've got to... You've got to hit it face on. You've got to face the truth that there are false teachers, and when there are false teachers, what do you do? Look at verse 10. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house. Don't even greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now what does it mean to not, rec- to not greet him, to not receive him? Does it mean you can't have unbelievers over to your house for dinner? No, it doesn't mean non-Christians. It means those who claim to be Christians but teach false things about Jesus. Comes and brings this teaching means someone who comes in an official teaching capacity. Don't welcome them means don't give recognition or consent to them. Don't let them teach the congregation. Don't install them in an official teaching position. That's sharing in their evil. But there's more because he says don't even bring it into your house. It's the idea of don't have any fellowship with false teaching about the person or work of Jesus in your home or in the church or anywhere else you go. Don't have koinonia with it. Interact with those who hold those teachings in hopes that you might reach, reach them with the gospel, in hopes that God might use you to turn them towards himself. See, we must open our homes and our churches to unbelievers for outreach. But they must be closed to false teaching about Jesus. 
And to do that, we have to know and live the simple gospel message. I put that on the back of your bulletin as well. Here's one way to put it. God's holiness. God is holy. He is perfect. He is without sin. In 1 Peter 1, he says, Be holy as I am holy. And then you've got to go with mankind's sinfulness. That we're sinful and separated from God due to our sin. And that without an advocate, we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. Romans 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2 says, We were dead in our transgressions and sins. But then you've got to look at Christ's work. Christ's work where he took our sin and paid our debt. Look at Romans chapter 5 with me. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. Speaking of being justified by faith and having peace with God through Jesus Christ. Here's what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. By faith alone, Christ's perfect obedience is credited to all who trust in him alone for acceptance with God. That's the truth. So what's our response? The only thing left for us to do is to do what Acts 16.31 says. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Key, believe in the Lord Jesus. He is Lord. And we acknowledge him as our Savior and the one who we want to be in control of our lives, the one that we want to be in charge of our lives. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, you want to follow me? You want to walk in the truth? You want to be my disciple? You want to be a Christian? You must deny yourself, disown yourself, say I'm through with myself because myself got me in trouble. And, and follow Jesus. And there, there will be no reason for boasting, as Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, that we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves, not as a result of works, so that anyone can boast before God. Now, the last thing we see here in 2 John is a word of encouragement. A word of encouragement that John gives to this community of believers that were in danger and maybe had already been infected by false teaching about Jesus. And here's what he says. The key phrase, by the way, is in verse 12. He says, Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. Now this might sound like, well, this is just ending stuff. It's just just filler. Oh, look at what it says. I have many things to write to you. I don't want to do so with paper and ink. I only have one piece of papyrus. Uh, But I hope to come to you and speak face to face. And the key phrase there is face to face. Personal contact with someone who is trustworthy. 
someone you know, someone who you've seen the outcome of their life up to that point and know that it's valid, that they're the real deal, that they're not false. And here's what we've got to do then with this encouragement. He says, I hope to see you face to face. So what? So that your joy may be made full. So that your joy may be made full. And by the way, the children of your chosen sister greet you. There's probably another church he's referring to here. And uh, they knew each other. Now, here's the thing. You've got to stand strong in Jesus on your own first, on your own two feet, individually. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But we're a family. We're a community. We're brothers and sisters. We need each other. There's strength in numbers. And so we don't just stand strong alone, but we encourage one another. Encourage one another as long as today is still called today. As we see the day of Jesus' return approaching. Every day, one step closer. And as we encourage one another, we need to stand together for the gospel. Stand together for the cause that transcends every cause. The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Look around this room for a moment. Really, look, look around. It's okay. You won't invade someone. Look, look far away. Don't look at the person next to you if you don't want. Just look across the room. These are your brothers and sisters. This is your family. This is your gospel coalition. This is your team, the gospel team. This is uh, the community of ambassadors that are being sent out as ambassadors for Christ. You know what I hope you do with all this? What I hope you do with 2 John is first of all, examine yourself. Look to yourselves. Make sure you're in the faith. And then test the teaching you receive. Be Bereans big time. Don't entertain false teaching, however enticing it might be. And then discern between truth and error. Make sure you're not in the danger zone. Live and share the teaching of Jesus and the simple gospel message.